Children's Church. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 33 this morning, verses 1 to 11. As we look about the pathway or talk about the pathway to reconciliation, in 1913, the federal government held a 50th anniversary reunion at Gettysburg. It lasted three days. Thousands of survivors uh, bivouacked in the old battlefield, swapping stories, looking up co uh, co comrades. <coughs> For the most part, the old men got along well enough, but over dinner at a restaurant one evening, harsh words were passed between a Yankee and a rebel, and they, met, and, and they went at one another with forks. <laughs> Meyer says this, Unscathed in the melee of 1863, one of them, and I never learned which, was almost fatally wounded in 1913 with table hardware. So he had survived the Civil War, right? almost died by the uh, jabbing of a fork. But. The climax of the gathering was a reenactment of Pickett's Charge. Thousands of spectators gathered to watch as Union veterans took their positions at Cemetery Ridge and waited as their old adversaries emerged from the woods on Seminary Ridge and started forward toward them again across the long, flat fields. We could see, Myers wrote, not rifles and bayonets, but canes and crutches, we soon could distinguish the more agile ones aiding those uh, less able to uh, maintain their places in the ranks. As they neared the northern line, they broke into one final defiant rebel yell. At the sound, after half a century of silence, a moan, a sigh, a gigantic gasp of unbelief rose from the Union men on Cemetery Ridge. It was then, wrote Myers, that the Yankees, unable to restrain themselves longer, burst from behind the stone wall and flung themselves upon their former enemies. Not in mortal combat, but reunited in brother love and affection. Wow. Fifty years, right? There was healing that took place. There was forgiveness that took place. Hopefully even for the fork incident, but right? All of this took place. Some people are still fighting the Civil War, unfortunately, right? <laughs> it's over. It's done. Some of those soldiers, I'm sure, felt the, what if, how freeing it is to extend forgiveness, right? I know that I've experienced that, how freeing it is. There was one situation where I had to forgive someone before they ever asked for it, and it was something that I had to do in order to move forward and remain healthy, both physically, mentally, and spiritually. But there's also times where I've had to be humble, and I've had to ask for forgiveness. <clears throat> when I've done something wrong uh, towards my boys, I've had to stop, and, and humbling myself, ask them to forgive me. I value my relationship with my sons more than I value my pride and wanting to be right. Reconciliation is so important. Relationship is so important. So how many of us had, have had to forgive someone before they've asked for it? How many of us have had to forgive someone that has never asked for it? Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe that's the step you need to take. It's like, yeah, I need to forgive that person. I don't think they're ever going to come back and ask for it. Has there been a time where you've had to humble yourself and ask for forgiveness 
Humility is so important on the pathway to reconciliation. We're going to see both of those things today really come into play. Humility and forgiveness. God transformed Jacob at Penuel. That's what he named that place on the other side of the Yabok River where he wrestled with God. He was no longer a deceiver but a prevailer. He was no longer a fearful rear guard but a confident vanguard. We'll see that today. He was no longer prideful but humble. And while it's not stated directly, the actions of Esau, as we'll see in this passage today, prove that God had transformed his heart also. The author just wants us to understand from this passage today our big idea, which is this. Humility, and it's not there, but and forgiveness, paves the way to reconciliation. So would you bow your heads with me as we just take time to allow that to sink in as we begin the message today. Lord, we come to you as humble servants. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that lives in every believer, that illumines our minds to what you want us to learn from your word. We thank you for the Holy Spirit that prompts us, Lord, that says pay attention to that, be obedient to that, don't do that. I pray that we would be attentive today, that you give us ears to hear and eyes to see all that you have for us in this passage of Scripture. I pray, Lord God, that today hearts would be transformed so that some would, <clears throat> would be humble enough to ask for forgiveness and others would be humble enough to extend forgiveness. That, Lord, you might reconcile relationships today. And so we just lift it up to you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. In verses 1 to 3 of chapter 33, we see some advancing that's taking place here. Esau's advancing, Jacob's going to be advancing, but let's look at those verses together. It says this, Jacob looked up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. <coughs> And so what we see here is this advancing that takes place. Esau is advancing. Now what we have to do is we have to remember a little bit of what happened uh, previously. Jacob had been wrestling with the Lord all night. That's what we talked about last week. It was daybreak and Jacob limped across the Shabok River. The narrative then continues in what we see in chapter 33, verse 1. As Jacob made it to the other side of the river, he saw Esau coming with his 400 men. So what does he do? He divides his children once again, as he had done in, in chapter 32, verse 7. He divided the people there into two groups when he heard that Esau was coming to meet him with 400 men. And he did this out of fear. That's what the, the narrator tells us. That's what the author of Genesis says. He does this out of fear. He's like, well, if this one group gets destroyed, at least the other group will still be alive, and I'll be able to continue my family through them. And so <clears throat> now he's dividing his children with their mothers, and he arranged them in the order of his affection for them. He put the maidservants and their children in the front. He put Leah and her children in the middle. And finally, he put Rachel and Joseph in the back. And while it's not stated that Jacob was fearful, like in Genesis 32, 7, we can only imagine that he was still apprehensive as he prepared to meet his brother Esau. You know how he left him, right? His brother wanted to kill him. And he says, when our father is gone, I'm going to kill you. So his mother says to him, you need to leave. Your brother wants to kill you. 
And so a transformation had taken place in Jacob as he wrestled with God, and we see that displayed with him taking the lead. Now Jacob did not uh, send his maidservants, wives, and uh, children ahead of him like he had done with the gifts of animals that we saw previously. Jacob now takes the lead. He goes on ahead of them. Hamilton, in his commentary, says the pre-Penuel Jacob was insistent that he stay behind his party. We see that in chapter 32, verses 17, 19, and 21. Now the post-Penuel Jacob will, have the, will be at the vanguard of this, this party, or his party. The inclusion of the independent personal pronoun before the verb accentuates Jacob's radical shift of position from rear guard to vanguard. And so the original Hebrew shows us how significant this shift is. We may not see it in the English language, but in the Hebrew, just where they put that independent personal pronoun is very significant. It's like, there is, this is a significant change. He's no longer hiding out in the back. He's like, I'm going to lead my family at the forefront. Whatever my brother Esau is going to bring against me, I'm going to be the one who faces it first. That's an incredible change for Jacob. And so, men, the first principle is for us today. Our role as spiritual leaders is to lead our families. Jacob's shift as a result of wrestling with God is significant. He had been transformed by a person-to-person encounter with the true and living God. He continued to mature in his faith and, and as the spiritual head or leader of his household. So that begs the question for us today, guys, a couple that I have. Are you leading your household spiritually? If not, why? I don't want you to just go, no. I want you to really think about it today. Why am I not leading my family spiritually? Have you been transformed by a person-to-person encounter with God? If not, what is holding you back? He's the one that's going to guide and direct us through his Holy Spirit that lives within us as his followers. So what's holding you back from making that decision? What's holding you back from taking that step to be a follower of Jesus Christ, to confess your sins before him, to cry out to him and say, I believe that Jesus died, was buried, and came alive again to take my punishment for sin? What's holding you back? God has given us his word so that we can study it, learn from it, and be transformed by it. Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, so we uh, need to be spending time in prayer. The Holy Spirit lives within every follower of Jesus Christ to guide them. And so the question, again, is what step do you need to take today in order to be the spiritual leader of your household? Perhaps you need to have a person-to-person encounter with God for the first time. Maybe you need to have a a person-to-person encounter with God again. You've already made that decision for Christ but perhaps you've backslidden, perhaps you've turned away from him, perhaps you haven't pursued him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you need to have that person-in-person encounter with him again. Maybe you need to commit to studying God's word and praying every day. The Spiritual Life Journal is an incredible tool to help, uh, with, to help, this, to help you with this. And you can take the challenge that Pastor Mark mentioned just a couple of weeks ago, and that's to read through the Bible in a year. And as our new Spiritual Life Journal comes out, you'll see it listed there, the different verses and chapters that you can read. And guess what? Spending that time in God's Word every day is going to transform you. I've been seeing that so much recently in just my own study of God's Word, my own reading through the Word in a year. He's just bringing to mind. 
He's showing me scriptures. He said, here's this scripture, and I need you to use it for this situation and talk to this person about that. And here's another scripture that I want you to be aware of that you read a hundred times or more, and you just didn't recognize what I, what I was trying to tell you, but this is what I want you to understand today. Wow, it's pretty cool. And I get to share that with Judy, and I get to share it with my kids and Pastor Mark and others. It just, boy, it just ignites me. I just want to be on fire for him. And so God's word will transform us. Prayer will transform you as you cry out to the Lord. And so, man, that first next step is for you today on the back of the communication card. And it's to take the next step needed so I can be the spiritual leader of my household. Don't stop today. Keep moving forward. Make that commitment. Be that spiritual leader. You'll, you'll never regret it. Trust me. So Jacob's transformation not only affected how he led his own household, but it also affected how he uh, approached his brother. He comes bowing down seven times as he approached his brother. The number seven in Scripture is perfection, it's completion. This would have been a very deep bow where Jacob's head would have almost touched the ground. Jacob would have done this voluntarily, not out of necessity. That's important for us for, to keep in mind. It was an act of humility on his part. Gango and Bramer say, in the protocol of these days, a person approached a king as, by bowing seven times, and Jacob followed the pattern, not so much as subject to the Lord. Surely he remembered the birthright. We're going to talk about that in just a little bit. But in respect and recognition that Esau was, for all practical purposes, the king of Edom. He was the king of these people that have come from him. So Jacob's transformation at Penuel included humility in approaching others. And that's our second principle today, that God is pleased when we humble ourselves. Imagine for a moment what the reunion with Esau would have looked like if Jacob approached him with the attitude that he was the covenant carrier who had the birthright and the blessing. What if he came with that attitude? I have no reason to bow down to you. I have no reason to submit to you whatsoever. I'm coming back to take what's rightfully mine. Right? What if he came with that attitude? My guess is that there would have been a battle that would have taken place as Jacob approached Esau. But he didn't do that. Rather, he came in humility, and humility paves the way to reconciliation. In just a moment, we're going to see Esau's reaction to how Jacob comes in humility. But first, we need to apply this to our lives. The same is true for us in dealing with others, in dealing with relationships. Humility paves the way to reconciliation. I want you to take a moment this morning and just think about a relationship that is currently strained in your life. If you don't have any, praise the Lord for that. You just turn to him right now and say, thank you, Lord. I don't have any strained relationships. My guess is that some of us, or all of us, perhaps, might have some relationship that's strained. Take a moment to think about that. The first question I want to ask you is, do you want to be reconciled to that individual? We have to get past that first, don't we? Because some of us are like, nope, don't want to do it. Mm -mm. Don't, I don't want to be reconciled to them. I want to be angry with them. It feels so much better, right? I feel so good when I'm angry. Hey, you need to have a time of repentance with the Lord if that's your attitude today. As followers of Jesus Christ, he wants us to forgive others as he has forgiven us, right? Maybe you just need to take a moment with Jesus to say, yeah, I've sinned quite a bit. And I'm so grateful that you've forgiven me. Give me that same grace and mercy to forgive others today. 
So you have to get first past that first question. Do you want to be reconciled to that in individual? And then the second question is, how can you approach the other person in humility? And it doesn't matter if you were in the right or the wrong. None of that matters at this point. You're coming in humility, seeking forgiveness. Imagine what the family Christmas gathering could be like if you approached this individual before the gathering in humility. Imagine what it would look like. You'd want to be there, right? You wouldn't be like, oh man, I got to go to that. Got to go to that family gathering. Not looking forward to that. You tell your wife, like, in about an hour in, I'm going to get really violently sick, right? I'm going to be in the bathroom for a long time, then we're going to have to leave. No. Imagine what it would be like if you could spend that time in reconciliation with that family member. What would Christmas look like? Imagine how pleased God would be if you humbled yourself with this individual. And so that's our second next step today on the back of the communication guard. And that's to approach the strained relationship with humility so there can be reconciliation. Maybe that's the step you're ready to take today. So in humility, Jacob bowed down seven times as he approached Esau. And we could see that Esau could not wait to greet his brother. Our second point this morning is affection. Look at verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Wow. Esau's reaction to seeing Jacob is multiple leveled, isn't it? He ran to meet Jacob. I wonder what Jacob was thinking. Oh, no, here he comes, right? But then he hugged him. He threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him. Hamilton suggests that the kisses, perhaps not just because Esau is happy or filled with joy, but also a sign of forgiveness. It's like, I love you, Jacob. I've missed you. I forgive you. And we'll see in just a moment that Esau had been transformed also. Does this narrative remind us of another narrative in the Bible where there was apprehension on one person's part and joy on the other person's part? It's in the New Testament. It's in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Jesus is telling the parable of the lost son. Do you think he's thinking back to this narrative and how Jacob and Esau were reconciled? If you remember the story, the son who squandered his his portion of his father's inheritance returns with humility to his father's house. He's willing to be considered a hired hand instead of a, a, a son. And while the son was a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran to him, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. Sound familiar? Now, we're not told in Scripture if Esau had a person-to-person encounter with God that transformed him, but his reaction is evidence that some kind of transformation had taken place in his life. He was no longer bitter and angry at Jacob. He was no longer uh, having this desire to kill him. He was willing to forgive Jacob. That leads us to our third principle today, that we honor the Lord when we forgive others. Now, we're not told if Esau followed the Lord, But as followers of Jesus Christ, we honor the Lord when we forgive others. Is there a relationship that can be reconciled if you forgive the other person? 
There are all kinds of things that other people can do to us that are, that are not right. Abuse comes in all kinds of forms, from physical to emotional to verbal. Others can mistreat us by their actions and speech. Life isn't fair, but we have the power to forgive. As you're going to hear in the closing illustration today, no one can give you that power and no one can take that power away from you. That's the power to forgive. No one can give it to you. No one can take it away from you. You have that power. You can forgive someone even if they've never asked you to forgive them. And in some cases, the other person may, may have no idea that they've hurt you or offended you. A lot of us are upset with other people, and they have no idea that we were upset with them. We had, or, or they're upset with us, and we have no idea that they're angry with us, perhaps because of something we said or did in passing, and they've never confronted us about it. We have no idea and we go, well, I wonder why they're treating me differently. And it's because they're, they're not even aware that you're offended or that you're upset. So the third next step today is this, and that's to forgive the person who has hurt me so that the relationship can be restored. You see, we honor the Lord when we forgive others. And that takes us back to our big idea that humility and forgiveness pave the way to reconciliation. And we see that with J Jacob and Esau. What did they do? They wept. It's plural there. They wept. As Jacob and Esau embraced each other, they began to cry tears of joy. It had been 20 years since they had seen each other. They both had been transformed by God over time. And Jacob had to learn humility, and Esau had to learn about forgiveness. And that takes us to our fourth principle today, that there is joy and reconciliation. We see it here. Boy, they are excited. They're overjoyed. And you have the opportunity to experience that joy when you learn humility and or forgiveness today. After drying his eyes, Esau looked up and saw the women and children that were following Jacob. Look at verses 5 to 7. This is what God's word says. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children who were, Who are these with you? he asked. Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all, Joseph and Rachel, uh, and Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. And so we see um, again this whole process of approaching. Jacob's uh, or Esau says to Jacob, "Who are these with you?" And Jacob's response acknowledges God's gracious provision. They are the children God has graciously given your servant. So principle five is this, children are a gift from God. Whether or not you have children of your own, this principle still stands. Some of us have children of our own. Others of us have children that we have adopted. Still others have nieces and nephews that they recognize as gift from God, uh, gifts from God. Finally, there are some of us who simply invest in other people's children and see them as gifts from God. Violet Hart says this, As a single parent with a full-time job and three young children, I often listen to Christian radio as an extra source of strength to cope with my day-to-day -day responsibilities. One day, the sermon talked about how children are God's rewards to parents. Several days later, a sibling skirmish broke out into shoving. Cut that out right now, I scolded, or you'll go to your rooms until you can cool down. Then my youngest piped up. Now remember, Mom, we're your rewards. 
great. <laughs> right? Oh, man. Each group comes, toward, or comes forward and bows before Esau. The maidservants and their children approach first. Leah and her children come next, and Joseph and Rachel bow before Esau last. We're not told if Esau understood the order in which Jacob presented his children and their mothers to him, but we're aware of the order because of the author's previous narrative about Jacob's love for Rachel being greater than his love for Leah. After the introductions are complete, Esau addresses the grievous, or the gen, I'm sorry, the generous gift that Jacob sent ahead of him. Look at verses eight to eleven, and we see that he's going to accept these gifts. <clears throat> Esau asked, "What do you mean by all these droves I met to find favor in your eyes, my lord?" He said. But Esau said, "I hear, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself." No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me, for to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Esau asks what Jacob meant by these droves that he had met, and by way of review, Jacob sent five different herds to his brother, each under the care of a different group of servants, First, he sends the goats, 200 female and 20 male. Then he sends 200 ewes or sheep and 20 rams. Next, he sends 30 female camels and their young. Third, or fourth, he sends cows, 40 of them with 10 bulls. And finally, he sends 20 female donkeys and 10 male donkeys. And each herd approached Esau separately. Jacob's response was that he hoped to find favor in his brother's eyes, and Esau initially told Jacob to keep his herds because he already had plenty. Do you think that God blessed both of these men? He did. He provided for Esau, even though Esau was not the covenant carrier, had not received the blessing. And he had provided for Jacob as the covenant carrier. Jacob insisted that Esau accept the gift because it was more about acceptance than need. Wolk, he says, by not offering a gift in exchange, Esau indicates that he accepts the gift as payment for the wrong done to him. And Golden Gate says Esau's acceptance means that the relationship is restored. He says, we review today, men, are you ready to take the next step so that you can be the spiritual leader of your household? All of us, are, are you ready to uh, approach a strained relationship in your life with humility so there can be reconciliation? Are you ready to honor the Lord by forgiving someone who has hurt you? You can do that right now in the quietness of your heart. And guess what? All of us can experience joy and reconciliation. As a body of believers, we need strong spiritual leaders in the church we need reconciliation and relationships not only in our church but also within the greater church through humility and forgiveness. And are we ready as a body of believers to experience joy and reconciliation? In closing, Eva Kaur and her sister Miriam were the subjects of horrific experiments at the hands of Josef Mengele at the Auschwitz concentration camp during World War II. <clears throat> in 1995, Eva returned to Auschwitz for the 50th anniversary of their liberation. She asked Dr. Hans Munch, who signed death certificates at the camp, to join them and sign an affidavit acknowledging what happened. Dr. Munch agreed. 
Eva explains what happened afterwards. I was so glad that I would have an original document witnessed and signed by a Nazi to add to the historical collection of information we were preserving for ourselves and for, for the future generations. I was so grateful that Dr. Munch was willing to come with me to Auschwitz and, and sign that document about the operation of the gas chambers, and I wanted to thank him, but how can, can, how can one thank a Nazi doctor? For, for 10 months, I pondered this question. All kinds of ideas popped into my head until I finally thought, how about a simple letter of forgiveness from me to him? For forgiving him for all that he has done? I knew immediately that he would appreciate it, but what I discovered once I made the decision was that forgiveness is not so much for the perpetrator, but for the victim. I had the power to forgive. No one could give me this power, and no one could take it away. That made me feel powerful. It made me feel good to have any power over my life as a survivor. In an interview before her death, Eva shared... If I had discovered forgiveness sooner, I would have had that 50 years of my life back. Forgive, she says. See the miracle that can happen. Wow. It's pre pretty powerful, isn't it? That's someone that you would think, no, there's no way I'm going to forgive them. And she did. Wrote him a letter of forgiveness. And she realized that in that process, forgiveness wasn't really for him. It was for her. Because we have the power to do that, whether or not anyone ever seeks forgiveness from us. And it will transform us like it transformed me, like it transformed Eva. She's like, I wish I had those 50 years back. wish I would have known forgiveness then because I could have got all those 50 years back. I'm just feeling bitter and angry all the time. Boy, that just takes a toll on your body that doesn't need to be there. You have the power and humility and forgiveness paves the way to for, for reconciliation. And I want to encourage you to make those decisions today as the Holy Spirit moves in your heart and mind. As the worship team comes to lead us in a closing song, would you bow your heads with me? <clears throat> Lord, we just come to you today. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the example of Jacob and Esau, for how uh, uh, just this... Uh, face-to-face -face or as the person-to-person -person encounter with you just transformed them. Lord, I pray today for that kind of encounter for your people here. Those that need that kind of encounter, Lord God, I pray that today would be the day that they would have that person-to-person -person encounter with you, maybe for the very first time, that you would transform them into be a follower of Jesus Christ. And maybe they need to have that person-to-person -person encounter with you again, Lord God, to really reestablish that relationship. And Lord God, would you transform them through that to be the spiritual leaders of their household as men, to be willing to extend, uh, to be humble and seeking forgiveness, being willing to extend forgiveness. Lord, would you do a mighty work as we lead up to these uh, Christmas season, Lord God, for your honor and glory that you might be glorified through it because there's healing that's taken place, because of reconciliation that's taken place. Lord, we just commit your people to you now, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.